Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Sports Drink Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Um, you are watching and listening to what is a very special episode of The Bird Calls. I, of course, am David Grubb, and I'm joined, as always, by editor-in-chief of TheBirdRights.com, Mr. Ali Cosell. Ali, um, mm-hmm. we have some very big news for people who follow The Bird Rights and listen to The Bird Calls, and uh, it's it's something that we've been talking about for a long time, and finally, we get to do it. I know we've been talking for years, right? Because we became fast friends. I feel like as soon as I first met you, which was five years ago, maybe six now. I'm not sure. Six, yeah, it's been about. But six yeah, years. It's, it's been a while. And then I know you came over and wrote at the Bird Rides with a bunch of guys for a while, and things were going decently well. And then, of course, everybody goes their separate ways, finds bigger and better things to do. And now this year, I'm undergoing some changes, specifically with the bird rights. I don't know if you guys have heard. I didn't make any kind of announcement on social media or anywhere. But SB Nation, about three months ago, almost three months ago, let 11 NBA sites go. So suddenly we were exiled. So I've been looking. I didn't actually have to look for very long. I was looking around because I wanted to keep the site going. I always had bigger visions for it or doing something like this that we're about to announce. I'll let David, I'll let you finish this off. Well, um, you know, if you know me, then you know that I've been doing sports media for a number of years and um, hard to paint from the radio to the podcast. I've just been so grateful for the support that we've gotten with that. And um, what I always want to do is make the voice a little bit louder and do some other things. So, you know, at the end of March, I started a hard to paint sports media and uh, what we'll be doing is is bringing you a lot more content, um, not only about basketball, but all the different sports and more interviews and more video content, more stuff for social media as well. And, you know, in doing that, I wanted to have something that was already established and that had a really great, you know, brand already because I I thought it would help get us out the door. And when that SB Nation opportunity arose and we knew that that the bird rights was going to be out there, I think neither one of us wanted that name or the that that community to die. And so now, through Hard to Paint Sports Media, um, the bird rights will live on, and um, it'll be part of that family, and there'll be more members to be joining um, in the coming months, and uh, we'll be bringing some exciting stuff. But the main thing for people who love the bird rights and love the bird calls and what we've been able to do is that we're going to be more consistent in our presentation. We're going to be doing some new things, and Ali and I are going to try to make this brand and this this community grow and 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 give you more of the content that we've, we've been known for but also start bringing you new stuff too 
and, and really getting into depth about uh, the Pelicans and about basketball. Yeah, things really, as everybody probably knows with whatever professions they're involved in, since the pandemic, things have changed. The world has changed. And so in sports media, the landscape's definitely changed. Suddenly all these older style of ways of, you know, communicating, um, bringing about a product, describing it, went from really written to all these standardized sites that carried, you know, writers and articles is now moving either more towards, you know, specializations in terms of where if you want to keep doing it, you've got to do basically the route that David and I are choosing or, you know, what's become popular is podcast, but we're going to have one and we're going to build up the bird calls back up. I mean, it's a great landscape out there already, right? For anybody that wants to catch Pelican stock. I mean, you've got Jake with Locked On. You've got what Boot Crew's doing, right? With Justin and everybody knows Chris and everybody, you know, that's involved with their product at over at Propels. But there's so many more that I'm leaving out. But I feel like there's a place for us. And I think that I miss the days of when David was writing with us, that we had a lot more writers. We were able to give you a lot better, more variety of content. And that disappeared at the start of this year. As, as I'm sure you guys have noticed, I've been the only one putting up any kind of articles. Um, so that really started weighing heavily on me. So it's almost been kind of a, you know, a godsend for me that SB Nation kind of pushed me along into looking for something more. So I think this is going to be great. I couldn't be any more excited, David, because like I said, I consider you a true friend. And I know that we've got big plans. We have talked about this for years. I'm very excited. This is going to be a good special starting from today. It feels like it's a good special day, but I can't wait because guess what? We're getting started right when the Pelicans are perhaps finishing one of their most exciting seasons ever, maybe the most exciting, right, which we're going to get to. Absolutely. And, and, and as you said, I mean, I think the long term is we want to make this a hub. We want to grow it and have new writers come in and contribute and, and more contributors. And, and we'll be doing that. We're going to be aggressive in trying to get, you know, people involved and in, in, in supporting the brand for real. And uh, we think that we, we're not in competition with any of those other groups, I don't think. You know, I think everybody else who does something does it in their own voice. And ours is unique, too. And I think that, you know, there's enough room for everybody to thrive and do well, and uh, we'll continue to, to give you our best. Yeah, everybody brings a different perspective. That's one thing I've picked up on. You know, since, what was it, about two, three years ago, it really started to explode, because for the longest time, it was what, you were with Crescent City Sports, right. I was with Bird Rice, there was Bourbon Street Shots, and there may have been one or two others, right? Fan cited had a site, Sports Illustrated on and off, but for the most part, yeah, you just got your coverage from your local newspaper, right? Here at Times Picayune Advocate, which is merged, but there was nothing national, right? And so we always got tired of the voices. But now that I think all of us have gotten a better perspective on just how things operate, and especially with this Pelicans team, I think we're able to, we're going to be able to give you that kind of insight that I think you guys are all desperate for, right? Because when you're listening to all these talking heads, how, how many of these guys are watching games, the Pelicans once a week? I would say probably once a month for most of them, if that, right? So I can see why this community has always been so starved for content. We're just going to be another one of those, you know, bricks, pillars, whatever you want to call it, in that foundation. Absolutely. Um, now let's get back to the stuff that's happening on the court. This is, as every week has been for about the last month, the most critical week in the, the season for the Pelicans. And it's not only the most critical week, it's probably the most difficult single week that they're going to have to deal with. Um, it's, it, the only thing being in their favor is that they're at home for these games and there may be some changing motivation for the teams that they face um, down the stretch here. But tomorrow, the biggest of them all being the Pelicans hosting, <clears throat> excuse me, hosting the uh, 
could be the rightful Pacific Division champs. They uh, they have four. They're up four with four games to go. So I think it's fair to call them the champions of that division. Uh, the Suns they haven't officially clinched yet, but the, the, the Suns aren't going to catch them. But um, the Kings come in tomorrow. Uh, they've won ten out of the last fifteen. They are a very uh, good team. Obviously, uh, they split their series with the Pelicans so far. Each team winning on their home floor by double digits. Uh, De'Aaron Fox. Has not played in either one of those games this year for the Kings. He will play tomorrow. That's huge. Before we get into, I just want to mention the other games this week. Back to back, you know, against Memphis on Wednesday. Then you get Friday, you get the Knicks, and then on the road um, at Minnesota to close the season. Those will all have very different implications depending on what happens tomorrow. But Ali, that first game, Pelicans and Kings. You look at that and you say. Style-wise, we've already seen that 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 the Kings present a very difficult style for teams to deal with. You add De'Aaron Fox into that mix, who has dominated in his games against the Pelicans as of late. Started off real struggle with them, but lately has been really good. And then for him himself, his last 24 games, De'Aaron Fox scored 30 points 12 times. He's hot. He's as hot as, as his counterpart with the Pelicans, Brandon Ingram. So what do you think tomorrow about that, that game? Uh, if you would ask me this two weeks ago, I'd have been scared. Why? Because the Pelicans were struggling with scoring, and they had been for what six, seven, eight weeks, almost going back to when Zion first injured his hamstring, right at the start of January. To beat the Kings, you've got to score, and we saw that actually in one of the matchups against the Pelicans. And you're right; it's hard to take too much from it because De'Aaron Fox wasn't there. But what you did see is both teams were scoring well. The Pelicans were right there. But then the Kings came out in the third quarter, found something that threw a monkey wrench in the Pelican scoring, which was just a zone. But because the Pels, what, they went maybe four or five minutes without really scoring the ball well. That's all the Kings needed to pull ahead, build a double-digit lead, and that's largely how that game finished. So to beat the Kings, you're not going to slow them down much. What you've got to do with them, team like Dallas Mavericks, you've got to have a good, efficient offense because they'll let you score, right? You can put up points, and and I think that's going to be the biggest key. Yeah, we can talk about Herb Jones guarding De'Aaron Fox, trying to maybe you know de- deter him uh, from maybe going certain ways, looking for others. DeMontis Sabonis, for instance, now is going to be guarded by um, Larry Nance. He's back. As you remember, maybe in that first matchup, Larry really played well, holding DeMontis to a very poor game, one of his poorest of the year, but he wasn't available for this last one. And – of course, Sabonis took advantage of Jonas Valanciunas and I think Billy Hernan Gomez, Jackson Hayes. So, yeah, it's almost you got to throw everything out the window. But I do know one thing, like I said, going back to it, scoring points. And right now the Pelicans are one of the best teams doing that, at doing that. They're led by B.I. He's giving you 30 points. But more than that, David, he's facilitating just as well as any other point guard out there in the league. Mm-hmm. I mean, since that first game in Houston, right, where they lost that game, over that nine-game stretch, over the 30 points, we know. but Eight, eight and a half assists a game. And more importantly, a lot of those assists, guess what they're leading to? Three-pointers. Nobody has assisted more three-pointers than B.I. since that game, right? So for what, the last two, two-plus weeks, B.I. is your leading assist man in the entire NBA at threes, something that the Pelicans don't, by design, do a good job of, right? Whether it's shooting enough of them or making them. Now they're doing better in both. And I think, like I said, that's translated into a much better team overall. And that's and that's why they've largely won seven of eight. Defense has largely been solid, but that offense has woken up. 
against the Kings, your defense doesn't have to be I mean, offense doesn't have to be great because they're a terrible defensive team. Yeah, it doesn't have um, to be perfect. Right. You, you, you do have to, you know, the one thing you can't do, because Sacramento does not generate turnovers. They don't get a whole bunch of turnovers. So the Pelicans cannot help them in that regard. Sacramento relies on you taking hurried shots, trying to match them, which they can turn into fast breaks. And then also you making mistakes, you you try just forcing things to keep up with them. They're hoping that the pace creates those mental mistakes because they're not a great defensive team. They don't have any great individual defenders. There's, there's not a great individual defender on that team. Uh, Harrison Barnes is a willing team defender. Keegan Murray is a willing team defender. I think that they have guys who are willing team defenders, but they haven't been together long enough. This group, it's a lot easier to get rhythm offensively because they have so much individual offensive talent than it is to get that link and that unit um, going defensively. But they have been a little bit better lately. And I think for the Pelicans, the biggest thing is they got killed not being able to keep Kevin Herter out of the lane. You know, it's one thing if Kevin Herter is going to burn you from deep. You know he can shoot. If he's going to make his shots, that's what. But if he's getting to the paint and dunking like he was when they were in Sacramento, he, I think he had, what, 25 in that game, something like that. But, I mean, he was he was the X factor that night. He can have good nights. He can't have a great night. He had a great night against the Pelicans last time. And I think Harrison Barnes has always been a Pelicans killer too, particularly in that corner. Harrison Barnes feeds off the corner three, and I think that's something that the Pelicans need to do a really good job of running him off that line. And they've done a, a little bit better lately of not allowing as many corner threes. Um, I've been surprised that the Pelicans doing a little bit more of that in, in defensively. But um, the Kings give up the three. They will allow, let you shoot a good percentage. They don't give up a lot of them, but they will let you shoot a good percentage. And the Pelicans, as you said, have been shooting a high percentage because the right people have been taking those shots. Trey Murphy getting a lot more attempts as of late. The uh, Brandon Ingram finding people in rhythm a lot more as of late. So the offense has been so much better. The one thing I do worry about, though, is with Jonas Valanciunas, this is he's had a good matchup for for the last nine games. This is not as good a matchup for Jonas. No, it's definitely not. Why? Because Sabonis likes to do a lot of his work outside of the lane, right? So he's their offensive hub, and he's brilliant. Outside of Jokic, I think it's easy to say that Sabonis is the second best passing big man in today's game. And he's the one, I think, that's really unlocked De'Aaron Fox, for instance. Remember, David, even though Fox was really good against the Pelicans over the last, what, three, four years, he was always the guy trying to initiate their offense. So he's, of course, trying to go one-on-one. They didn't really have that ball movement. Now, suddenly, when you have Sabonis as that hub, well, guess what? You're going to have all that ball movement because he's going to at least make sure that on every possession – couple guys are going to get touches, and it's usually more. And as the saying goes, right, you get a lot more people involved. Well, suddenly everybody else is going to be doing it. So it's contagious. And I feel like that's what usually happens with the Pelicans, too. When they're playing really well and that ball's moving, it's because either when Zion, was when he, when he was playing, was really faci- facilitating well, or now when B.I.'s playing well, or when you have all those guys together like they did at the start of the year. So that's the key for them. And, yeah, with Jonas – I don't know. I mean, this could be one of those games, David, where we're seeing he's either going to get in early foul trouble or it's just not going to be working. Pels fall behind by 10 early, and then he's the first guy out maybe at the six-minute mark because we've, we've seen that before. And, again, it's not a knock on Eunice, but he just doesn't have the ability to guard a guy out in the perimeter because he just doesn't have the quick feet to stay with really anybody. 
it's it's just a difficult matchup for him. And 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 the, this week is going to be a difficult week for him. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. But I think we need to start with, you know, we talked about De'Aaron Fox. And another thing that De'Aaron Fox does well, and I think is going to be a key for this game, is free throw attempts. De'Aaron Fox gets to the line really well. He's not a great shooter at all. You know, he's not a great three-point shooter. But he gets to the rim and he gets to the line. And he gets other people to the line. So I think that that is going to be another key for the Pelicans is, is keeping the Kings from the line because the Pelicans are not going deep into their bench anymore. Willie has really tightened up the rotation. And if they get guys in foul trouble, it could affect their flow a lot because they're just not playing guys the way that they were before. And I think the team has gotten conditioned to this new rotation of, of Larry coming in at certain times, B.I. going out at certain times. There's a rhythm that this team has right now. And I think that that's, you know, foul trouble would be the one thing to upset that. Right. Look, the Kings are should be the envy of everybody around the league for their offense. I mean, the offensive efficiency, I think, is still on pace to be the best of all time. I mean, they're averaging about 125 points a game. I think only the Celtics are ahead of them. But they do they hit all the check marks, right? They get inside the paint. They get to the free throw line. And, of course, they shoot a lot of three-pointers. And when you combine that, I think – correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they lead the league in the fewest amount of turnovers per game – Right. So when you have that combination, wow, you're pretty much a juggernaut and you're going to be scoring 30, 35 almost every quarter. So that's why I said it's important to keep up with a team like Sacramento. So I don't know, David, the fact that the Kings have tailed off a little bit, I think this is going to be a great matchup regardless. But I feel like there is I don't know whether they've gotten a little tired. Right. I mean, let's face it. Their guys have been largely healthy all year. No other team in the league has enjoyed as much good health as they have. So I'm wondering if they've gotten a little tired coming down this stretch because these guys have you know already played so many minutes together. But either way, you're still going to have to play a good game, right, to beat Sacramento. You're still – I'm thinking you're going to have to score about 120 points, and you're going to have to try and not let De'Aaron Fox get 40 on you, have Sabonis finish with a triple-double, something along those lines. I mean, you look at the Clippers game, and that was – the Clippers got good offense from three people in the first half. Kawhi was going a little bit. Russ was going. They had – they were getting points, but in the second half, it was all Kawhi and no help. The Kings don't have a problem with finding people who can keep scoring. Like, that's the thing is, like, they have enough guys who can put the ball on the floor, who can pull up and shoot, who can catch and shoot, who can score inside. Like, they are versatile enough offensively that they can, if there's a slowdown period, they have something to go back to. And so I think that's the key for the Pelicans is that they, you know, at their best defensively is that they've done a good job of taking away the second guy or the third guy. For the Kings, you're going to take four or five guys away at different times and not allow just that consistent penetration. And that's that's going to be the main thing is if, if the Kings are always in the lane, if their feet are touching the paint time and time again, then it's going to be really hard because the Pelicans are going to get – you're not going to stop the Kings from scoring 115. Like that's going to happen. It's do you get them to 130, 135. Right, and if everybody remembers that last matchup the Pels had with uh, the Kings – not only Kevin Herter got into the lane, Kevin, but or uh, David, but I also remember Malik Monk. Yeah, yeah, he was he was a buzzsaw. So then you've got Murray spotting up, right? Keegan Murray, who I think, boy, he fell in the perfect role for that team, right? As a rookie coming in, he gets not to do a little bit of everything, not have to carry anything, but he's like a secondary playmaker, shooter, you name it, and and he's been perfect fit. So he's to me like almost a better, younger version of what Harrison Barnes is giving him. Yeah, he's still averaging about what fifteen points a game. So you're right. They've got, what, six players averaging double figures, led by Fox, who I think is legitimately probably a top 20 guy most nights. And then you consider Sabonis. He's almost right there in that same breath, too. So, 
They don't have weaknesses offensively. You're going to have to play well offensively to beat them. Yeah. I guess we've hammered that point enough, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, we just figured the scoreboard is going to light up tomorrow. It's going to be a busy night. Um, let's look at, at, at B.I. and what this game means for him and what, what this last stretch has meant for him. Clearly, he's been the best overall player probably in the NBA over the last nine games. Um, and before that, he was putting up points but he wasn't impacting winning the same way. And we saw this same Brandon last nine games of last year. The last nine games of last year, he was as good as anybody. And then going into the playoffs, those first five games before he hurt his – four and a half games before he hurt his finger, he was as good as anybody in the postseason. It sucks that it's taken so long for us to get to this point with B.I. this season, but how good is it to see him playing to the level that the expectations – are for him and for what he set for himself, quite honestly. You're right. I mean, David, every time we talk about him, you know what it reminds me of? Remember when we had that interview with all the players right before they were going to the bubble? And I asked Brandon, you know, basically what he's looking to do, what to accomplish over there. And he just said he wants to flat out kill everybody he gets in front or gets in front of him, right? Yep. He, he always had that mentality, but it never translated to the court fully, or it was in glimpses or stretches, but never consistently. And so once again, He's in a good stretch. Now, for me, the question is, can he maintain it? And I'll tell you what, he couldn't have picked a better time to do it. And I think this is the best, by far, the best he's ever played in his career. Because you brought up how he played against the Suns, which I think he was outstanding, right? Even before getting to the playoffs, he was outstanding. But mainly when you look back on it, I, I felt like he was more of that three-level score. He wasn't so much the playmaker you see now. He wasn't as much the leader, the rebounder. There's a lot more check marks, I feel like you can, you know, knock off that list because I think he's giving it all. I mean, when, over these last few games, I know that the points are always impressive, but I like how he's manufacturing them. It, it, he's running it within the offense. That was the biggest difference for me from when he first came back. I felt like he was forcing a lot. Mm -hmm. Of course, we talked about this, right? It's natural. Your team's on a 10-game losing streak. You go from first to all of a sudden out of the playoff picture. You're going to want to put it on your shoulders. And I think both he and CJ were doing it, but it wasn't leading to good, efficient team offense overall. And that was a problem when the team was just lost. But now they have found that groove with B.I. being the head of the snake. And the biggest key for me is he's coming out and looking to be forceful in the first few minutes of the game. I think any great player that wants to win a game, that's how they begin games. Look, I, I watched Michael Jordan my whole life. And that's one thing I remember about MJ. He always tried to set the tone in that first quarter. Order. He wanted to start punching in the mouth right away. He never took shots. He wanted to dish him out. And I feel like that's what B.I.'s been doing, right? And it seems like whenever B.I., David, goes for what, 10 or more points in the first quarter and starts, you know, getting the defenses, all their eyes, drawing all those eyes, that opens up all those driving lanes for everybody else, those uh, catch-and-shoot threes, the wide-open ones. And that's how B.I. suddenly then gets to eight, nine, ten assists a game. So I think he has stumbled upon the perfect game plan. Pelicans have never, well, since Lonzo Ball left, have not had that facilitator that we've often talked about. That's why you've always pushed for, right? Got to get some kind of floor general in there, a veteran one, even if he's coming off the bench. Well, now I feel like B.I. is filling that role on top of providing the scoring, on top of providing that leadership. So, again, I can't name you three or four other players that have been playing better basketball over the last two to three weeks. Easily. I can't. The thing for me, Ali, is it was like you said, the, the stunning efficiency, shooting 52% from the field, almost 50% from three. I think he's at 49% from three right yeah, now. Yeah, 49, yeah. And 92% from the line. 
So he's getting you for the 50-40-90 splits. He's not turning it over, which was a huge problem for him this season. The number of five and six turnover games for B.I. this year was just completely out of whack compared to what we had seen for him historically. So the efficiency, like you said, is to me is important. The early starts in the clock. He's not dribbling to create this stuff. He's getting into position. Like it's two drives, kick it. If he's on, he's he's knowing where the outlet is before the play starts, before the, he gets into his action. He knows where Herb is going to be across the court. He knows where Trey is going to be on the wing. He knows where, where CJ is going to be. He knows where Jonas is going to be. He is he's not reacting. Like you said, he is initiating. He is creating. Now, should that burden be his all the time? No, this is not perfect. This is not the optimal situation for the Pelicans. But I think what it has shown is CJ operating off the ball early in the shot clock is so much better for the Pelicans because CJ operating early in the shot clock means dribbling. BI operating early in the shot clock means a shot might go up because he's getting to the paint, the extended elbow, taking a jumper from there or going to the going hard to the free to the to the basket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been finishing with dunks, finishing with layups above and through defenders. We're seeing a physical BI that we started to see some of last year when he was finishing through contact. Now he's being aggressive again and doing it. The, the dunk that he had against the Clippers was one of the more physically aggressive plays we've seen out of BI this year. Um and I think that that part of it, when he trusts his body, I think he needs to be more trusting of it. He's stronger than he wants to give himself credit for. And I think, we, you know, guys have, go through this. Drew Holiday used to go through it in finishing around the rim. You know, even at times Zion does it. And he's strong, bigger and stronger than all these guys. And we've seen Zion turn away from the contact on occasion. So I think B.I. not doing that. And then that is carried over to his defensive approach in, in attacking the glass, in turning defense into offense. I think it has turned the level up for the team, which has now the number one rated defense in the NBA, though – the eye test says they are not perfect defensively. The energy has come, come up. And though Herb, and we'll get to Herb in a minute, Herb is always exceptional. B.I. bringing his energy to the defensive end, I think, has, has sent a message. Because I think his teammates were waiting for that from him. Brandon playing like an all-NBA player has allowed for everybody to fill their more comfortable, natural roles. You just alluded to it with CJ. And it's clear when he is alone out there, when there was no Zion or B.I., only during that stretch where he was hotter than a firecracker, right? He seemed to not miss more than half his shots from three. But, of course, that's not sustainable. But once, you know, reality hit and he slowed down, wasn't able to make all the shots, well, suddenly, right, he's that primary ball handler, playmaker. And we saw that he's never going to be a natural playmaker. Why? Because he, he just doesn't see – he can't make those reads, David. Let's be honest. Pick and rolls, even sometimes, the simple pick and rolls, he'll stumble, fumble upon, right, where he won't see a secondary defender or he just doesn't make the right entry pass. There's there's just a lot of things, and I'm not trying to harp on the guy because what he gives the Pelicans is a lot more than they've ever had out of a combo guard, right? Number one, they've always needed that long-distance shooter, and they've got it in him, and now he's there catching those uh, shots, open shot attempts, comfortably out there in the perimeter or making one or two dribbles, getting in the lane, shooting that floater, or even making an easier pass, right? All Everything on his lap is easier. Same thing with Trey. Trey's now responding to what is happening out there on the court. So he's usually facing defenses that have collapsed strong side on BI, and suddenly he's seen this weak side where, my goodness, look at all these lanes. I throw one ball fake. I've got 16 feet of space. Same thing with Herb. 
And I, and so you've got those guys in the corners who are, by the way, shooting confidently, right, from the floor, from the, the especially your favorite spot, that corner three. Trey, we always knew could do, but now Herb, since you know started March, he's been knocking down three pointer. I want to say at about a forty percent clip. So now suddenly he can do that or break down your man. So suddenly the Pelicans have so many weapons, so many different ways to score. But it all starts with Bi. He was the one that really had to carry the load without that. You know, like I said, that natural point guard floor general. Let's and talk about Trey. Everybody Murphy. else is falling in. Yeah. Let's talk about Trey for a second because Trey, you know, I I showed you this stat the other day. We were at the Clippers game. And that the Pelicans are 16 and five when Trey Murphy gets 12 shot attempts. That is a low number of shot attempts. And that also is a low number of games with 12 or more for, for a guy who's as good a shooter, who is probably now the way his trajectory is going on pace to be the most prolific outside shooter in Pelicans history. If he stays with this franchise, he just set the record for March, right? Let's toss that. He's got the single month record. For the franchise, he broke Baron Davis's franchise record, which was set the first year that the Pelicans were uh, then Hornets were here. So Trey comes along now. He's hitting these remarkable percentage. He's shown you that he can hit from anywhere. The thing now is the Pelicans have to recognize to get him more shots. They've been doing it, fortunately, right since the start of March. I feel like I, I know. I mean, I don't even have to read the numbers to you, but he's getting more shots per game, more threes per game. And he's shooting them more confidently. So that's the perfect match. And if he's too closely contested, what does he do? Ball fake, drives, gets to the free throw line. For a guy that shoots rarely right um, off the dribble or those pull-up type of shots, I'm actually impressed by how many times he gets to the free throw line. It's not just in transition. So Trey's game is blossoming. And here's a point I, I noticed and I made earlier on a radio show, David. Usually these players that come in the league that aren't superstars right at the start – you see their improvement kind of gradually, or more so you see it during the offseason, right? You see the jumps in the summers. I feel like with Trey, we've seen it towards the end of now both of his seasons, right? Mm -hmm. He came uh, from not playing the rotation a season ago to suddenly being reliable bench player for Willie Green, what, about 20, 25 minutes a game, and stretching the floor. Now I feel like he's offering so many more things. He's not there yet with the rebounding. One-on-one -on -one defensively can be kind of a roller coaster with him. But for the most part, he's doing everything and more than he was at the start of the year. So, Trey, tell you what, Dave, we were talking about this before the last game. I mean, he's headed for what? And with Schmidt, I, I got to shout out Schmidt. But he's easily headed for second contract right along the lines, probably a max deal, right? So look for maybe $100 million for four years, something along those lines. Oh, yeah, um, I would think so. Um, Ali – I guess the, the thing that hangs over the, the franchise now is Zion Williamson. There'll probably be an announcement tomorrow about his um, either tomorrow or Wednesday about his impending. I think it's going to be Wednesday. Wednesday. Return. Um, I think Wednesday is yeah. That's that's the day we were promised. So I, the franchise usually doesn't come early. So Wednesday we'd expect to hear it. By all indications, Zion is going to be back before the end of the regular season. My biggest concern for Zion. There's three concerns I have for him. Number one the external pressure and the internal pressure that people are going to put on him to perform. Number two is how does he get used? I think a secondary role initially is the most, is, would be more beneficial to him coming off the bench based on his defense and his need to get the ball with the offense has been running so well right now. I think Zion could be an X factor off the bench while you're integrating him back into the lineup. And then the third thing, you know, I worry about with Zion is, is just that, if he does come back, the the physical strain that could happen, 
and you get a setback going into the summer, which is the last thing you need um, in the long term for this franchise. Yeah, you're number one on the list. I'm not so worried about anymore in terms of the expectations. Why? He doesn't have to save the Pelicans, right? Because they've won seven of eight. They're all but guaranteed of getting into playing, right? The magic numbers won. When you consider how poorly, right, the the uh, Jazz they're pretty much done, if I if I'm not mistaken. But the Mavericks, they're the only ones that possibly could still jump in, push the Pelicans out. But that would require for them to win every single game left on their schedule, and for the Pelicans to lose every single game. And like I said, that's probably unlikely to happen with the way the Pels and the Mavs have been playing. So you feel comfortable saying that this team's going to get into some postseason action. So like I said, I'm not too worried about Zion suddenly having to. Oh, we got to put the Pelicans on the shoulders, win the last five, six, whatever games just to get into something. That's no longer there. The second thing is I completely agree with you on your other couple points, but mainly coming back from injury, what has he done? He has struggled, right? Think about at the start of this year, he didn't look like Zion. Not only was the playmaking not there, that defensive effort and even knowing what's going on, he wasn't finishing, David. He wasn't scoring, finishing around the rim like we have become accustomed to seeing. So I'm wondering, are we going to see that again? We saw the same thing, right, in the bubble when he came back. Um, after having an injury, left the bubble for a little bit, came back. He wasn't the same guy either. So and That was supposedly wondering. a hamstring injury. And I got to admit, the fact that he's not up to, say, you know, three-on-three, five-on-five, hard type of contact, really sprints, running, and for to have any kind of hope for him to come back in a week, that worries me because, I mean, look, he got injured about this time – what was it, eight weeks ago when he retweaked his hamstring, right? He was on three on three, but he was further along. And so I can see why they're taking it slower with him in one sense. But when you're talking about possibly being big back next week, well, that's all of a sudden like pushing the fast forward button for me. I don't see how those go hand in hand unless if you bring him back, it would maybe be for like a much smaller role. So suddenly you, you don't start him, right? You don't give him bursts. That never worked. Nobody was happy with that. So if he could agree to say coming off the bench, maybe playing a couple times, once in each half, maybe that could work. But otherwise, I honestly don't expect to see him until maybe the playoffs. Yeah, they, they only have one practice in the regular season left. And practice is very important for this team in both its evaluation of Zion, but also just getting continuity on the court. And for Zion, he needs, like you said, the defensive part, that change in his game, him being much more of a, an impactful player defensively, though he still wasn't great. That was huge for him in his, his development. The block shots, the rebounding was improving. Um, and we were seeing some of that. There's a game changer, David. Fourth quarter, winning time, he was the one making the plays. Yeah. And, and if he is not explosive, we always have to remember, Zion leads the league in getting his shot blocked. You know, like he, more of his attempts, more percentage of his, a bigger percentage of his attempts get blocked than any other player in the league. So you take away some of that explosiveness. If it's 10%, 15% less, that explosiveness, it's going to impact him. And I think as a starter, the impact is greater. In the bench, you can you can bring him out with, against second units, use him primarily as an offensive weapon, and hide him defensively. With the first unit, that can't happen. And you run the risk with B.I. Then all of a sudden, subconsciously, everybody's mindset changes. I got to get Zion a touch. I got to get Zion a touch. Of course you do. But once you're thinking about those things and you're not just doing them naturally, which it seems like the offense is in a very natural state right now, this team does not do well with change in particular. Like anytime they have to deal with change, it's it's not comfortable for the Pelicans. No, 
and not only based on the, the history that you just brought up, but generally, I feel like when you bring in somebody that soaks up so much usage, like Zion, even though, you know, he's he's a team first guy, cares more about winning than scoring, but still he's soaking up possessions. And that's your point. So you certainly don't want B.I. and C.J. going quarters without really touching the ball. And then, of course, the, the big elephant in the room is if Zion becomes a starter right off the bat, who are you moving to the bench? Fan base is divided as, as, as all heck, and I can't blame them. You don't want to see either of Trey or Herb go to the bench. Herb, he's a top 10 defensive guy. That is what the Pelicans coaching staff hangs their hat on when they come up with defensive schemes, right, for opposing teams. You can't take them out, right? It's like basically removing Brandon Ingram, right? Mm-hmm. What Brandon gives you offensively, suddenly you take Herb away. Well, that's what he's going to cost you defensively. But then again, Trey, I mean, the strides we just talked about he's made, but also how he can stretch the floor. I think he's the biggest reason why suddenly Jonas has been having, you know, great last four weeks, CJ, BI. It's because he's out there commanding a defender come out 30 feet and and stay on him, right? So I don't know. So suddenly you're going to have to deal with all that. But if you were to bring Zion off the bench, you wouldn't have to necessarily deal with it. Maybe you could slowly figure things out, and then maybe by the time the playoffs get here, then you could go ahead and make that change. It's a good problem to have, though, to, to yeah. at least be talking about potentially having Zion on the floor after him being gone for all this time. Um, Ali, you and I will both be at the game against the, uh, with the Clippers. Um, and, of yes. course, it'll be a pleasure to see you, as always. Against the Kings. Against, we, we, against the Kings. I'm sorry. <laughs> we were both there for the Clippers, but against the Kings. Uh, any final words before we get out of here for the folks? No, I just want to say that I think all of us, even the most optimistic of fans, like I'm, I'm talking to you, Fish, all, all the people like that. They felt like the season was over, not less than what, two to three weeks ago, right? I mean, let, let's face it. We that, all did. I mean, we all kind of did. Yeah, and um, I, I was just worried about how my future articles were going to sound, but they weren't going to be pretty. But now suddenly for them to turn it around, I think we deserve to accolade the entire coaching staff, the players for staying together through everything. And really, I mean, when you – Start off in first place, and you, or I should say, you were in first place towards the end of December, and then you played like a bottom five team for two months, and then so, now suddenly you can find that again. That's unheard of. So, props to this team, and I'm very excited to see what they can do, right? It's all going to come down to matchups, so we're all going to be watching. That's why this you mentioned the Kings, this finishing schedule is so important. But boy, if they could, I feel like could just get to five or six, I'll tell you what, that gives a good chance for Zion to get back, gives a good chance for this team to maintain this flow. And you avoid the Lakers in the plane. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that happen. Well, we'll definitely have more to talk about. And we will be back this week with another edition of The Bird Calls. For Ali Cosell, I am David Grubb. And uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, we look forward to a, a new future um, with you together. Thanks so much. For listening to the bird calls on the Armchair All American Network. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro. Cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait.
Auto Trader.